Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Glory to your name. 
joined us or listening. It's good to see you. Let's see if I can find that sound effect of the shofar. Right there it is. to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 is where we're going to start today in the book of prophets. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah is a very interesting man, a man of God, a prophet of the Lord. Very interesting indeed. Amen. Today, the subject topic, as you're turning to Jeremiah chapter 1, page 50, the subject today is raising children to become adults, not forever babies. Raising children to become adults, or rather responsible, mature adults, not just adults, but responsible, mature adults, not forever babies, not forever immature. In our modern Western society, people under 21 years old, and especially under 18 years old, are seen as children in the modern Western society, even seen as babies. But this has not always been the case in history, not even always the case in Western society. It was previously different. People had a different mentality about people's age and what people are capable of at a certain age and what should be uh, held responsible, uh, what their responsibilities are and what their abilities are and so forth. In agent societies, and in fact, even as recently as the early 20th century, in the 1900s, people who had reached puberty were considered as young adults. That was the mentality, the way of thinking of Americans in the, in the early 1900s, like 1910 and before then, in the 1800s and 1700s and not just America, but all across the world. And even later than that, even more recent than that, in a lot of, a lot of nations, a lot of nations in Africa, in the Middle East, Asia, even up into the 40s, 50s, 60s, and even 70s, a lot of nations and a lot of cultures, they were considering people once they reach puberty, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, they considered them as adults. This is historical facts about how people viewed younger people 
in earlier generations. We can't deny this. This is facts. This is the fact of history. This is what's going on, what was going on in the world all across the globe until just recent times when the mentality changed. So today we're first going to start with biblical times. What was the mentality? How did people view? How did God view? And how did other people view people who were younger in biblical times? In Jeremiah chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 1 down through verse 8. Jeremiah 1, verse 1, the word of Theos, the word of God, which came to Jeremiah, the son of Chalcius, of the priests, he was the priest of the priest line, the family who dwelt in this place called Anatoth in the land of Benjamin. Accordingly, as the word of Theos came to him in the days of uh, Joshua, son of Amos, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It was in the days of Joachim, son of Joshua, son of Judah, and to the 11th year of Zechariah, king of Judah, even until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, first of all, this one king, which I know I'm not pronouncing these names correctly, but this one king that is spelled here as J-O-S-I-A-S. He was only seven years old when he became king. Only seven years old when he became king. Right there in itself, and Brother Gerald, you can add that to that verse as well, because I didn't send you that particular note. But we could add it right there in that verse there, of verse 2, uh, J-O-S-I-A-S. He was seven years old when he, when he began to reign. And you can write that in your notes if you want to. In the body in verse 2, you could write. In fact, I think I'll take my ink pen right there and write it in at the end of verse 2, because that's relevant to biblical understanding. I need, next time, I need to start getting a habit, or maybe I, I need to leave one up here, a, a fine point pen. This is too, too broad for me. I need a fine point pen for taking notes. If you want to write that down, brother, to help me remember that, or keep one up here. And so, they would, back in biblical times, not only in Egypt, which they did, but in other cultures around the world, in China, Egypt, and even in Israel, they would put somebody extremely young, seven, eight, nine, and ten and up, on the throne as being a king or a queen. That's a historical fact. Then we get down to uh, uh, verse 3. 
And it was in the days of Joachim, son of uh, Joshua, king of Judah, into the eleventh year of Zechariah, the king of Judah, even into the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. And the word of Jesus came to him, saying, Before I formed you, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth from the womb, I sanctified you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Right there tells you that God already knows who we are and who we're going to be and what is our calling in life even before we are born. That God really already knows before we are born and has already chosen in many cases our destiny, our calling and our roles that we must fulfill in that. God knew that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet even before he was born. So that's one of the evidences in the Bible against abortion. He already knows who we are. We already have a destiny, a role in life. Amen? And so... We're human beings in the womb. Amen. And it says in verse 6, here's Jeremiah's response. I said, O Lord, you that are supreme Lord, behold, I know not how to speak, for I am a child. And Jesus said to me, say not, I am a child, for you should go to all of the all to whomsoever I shall send you, and according to the words which I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid before them, for I am with you to deliver you, says Jesus. Amen. How old was Jeremiah? Now, it doesn't say in the scriptures, but we can actually pinpoint it pretty closely by the year of reign of each one of these kings is very specific to the time frame. Uh, and we can look, therefore, we can take that and look at history. When was it? What year was it? So forth. And we can also look at um, the priesthood uh, and how many years each priesthood would last. Stuff like that. We can also look at uh, the legends and the stories of the Jews and so forth. And if we consider all of these different areas, then we actually come out to, I believe, that Jeremiah was somewhere around 13 years old. Now, most people say 16. And no one really says older than 16. So 16 or less. But the information I was looking at in my research pinpoints it to closer to 13, and I'm more convinced of around 13 or 14 and no older than 14, according to what some of the stuff information I was looking at. So pretty young, pretty young. But this is the age of puberty for a boy of 13 years old being the average age of puberty for a boy, and sometimes 12, 
poor boy. And everybody's different about when they will reach puberty or go into puberty. Uh, but he calls himself a child. But God says, do not say that you're a child. I want you to go and do this work. I want you to speak before kings and priests. I want you to root up kingdoms and pour down kingdoms and build kingdoms. I want you to be my prophet, my man upon this earth, teaching and leading adults and religious people and speaking to government officials. No, it doesn't say all this in these exact words, but that's what he is saying as he keeps speaking to Jeremiah in the context and in the theme of this book, it is what God says in different words, in different mannerisms. I want you to do this, and he does. Amen, he does. In today's society, if you have a 13-year-old young man trying to tell the president what to do and what the religious leaders, the leaders of the temple, the leaders, leaders of religion want to do, of course he would be mocked. And he was mocked, but not because of his age. He was mocked because what he was saying, that you are sinners, that you government leaders and you church leaders, leaders of the temple, that you are sinners, and you people of the nation, you are sinners. This is the last time in this entire book of Jeremiah that I know of where his, his youth is mentioned. When he starts speaking in authority as a prophet of God to the temple leaders and government leaders, they only bring up what they were saying, what he was saying, that they disagreed with. They did not bring up his age again as far as what's written in Scripture the way we see it today. As far as what's written down and we still have for us today, we don't see anything else about his age as we continue in all the rest of the chapters of Jeremiah or even the Bible. Amen. It wasn't his age that they mocked, but rather they disagreed with, with God correcting them. Their sins being pointed out. Amen. God could have called an older man, even with greater wisdom, of course. An older man would naturally have more intelligence, have more knowledge, more information about life, more wisdom, so forth. But God chose Jeremiah, even before he was born. But he didn't wait for Jeremiah to get into his 30s. He put Jeremiah to work when he was 13 to 16 years old. Like I say, I think more of 13-year range. He put Jeremiah to a very important work when he was a very extremely young man. Amen? But I tell you this, it wasn't at 13 to 16 that he began his work because he was in that, uh, the priest line of family, the tribe, 
And so he would have been working in the temple even earlier than that, sweeping the floor, mopping, dusting, and listening to the sermons and perhaps other chores, lighting the uh, candles, lighting the menorah, keeping the oil burning, whatever. We don't know what else. But he would have definitely been doing chores, right, in the temple from, from youth, being that he was raised. He was actually raised in this temple. His dad was a priest of the temple. He would have been raised in many different chores and duties of the temple. And he would have been learning to read and write and, and learning the scriptures. Amen. In today's society, there's a lot of groups of people where they want to push the children aside, send them to a different room, send them to a different class or whatever, instead of being right there with their parents. But I guarantee you, that in the biblical days, the children were not divided or separated from the parents. They were right there, right next, sitting right next to their parents or standing right next to their parents, listening, paying attention, being quiet, and learning. And they were expected to do all of that. Amen? Most of the churches I went to when I was a child, that was the way it was. Although I did see some churches where they would divide the kids into all the classes and put them in the basement or put them in another room on the other side of the church or whatever. Even though I saw that, most of the churches that we visited, the children was right there sitting next to the parents, being quiet, sitting still behaving themselves, and not causing a distraction, not causing trouble, but being very well-behaved at all ages, very, very, very young and older. At all ages, at all ages, the children were well-behaved because they had an expectation of them. They had accountability. Their parents was, was training them how to sit still, be quiet, and learn. Amen. When I was a kid and went to the, the coin laundromats where you wash your clothes, wash and dry your clothes in the public businesses where you put a dollar in the machine, I was made to sit down not be running back and forth all over the building, not playing with the carts, not pushing the carts around the buggies, not climbing up on things, not climbing into the buggies, not yelling, not screaming. I was made to sit down and be quiet and behave myself, and to help fold the clothes and to be a help. Amen. But I see people these days of all colors, all races, of the children doing whatever they want to do, anything they want to do, 
yelling and screaming and running and playing and climbing up everything. It's ridiculous. How this generation allow the children to be chaotic, out of control. What led to this change in culture? And even though it's of all races and all colors and all nations of the worldwide global problem, there are at the same time some cultures that have a greater degree of a problem with this. And that's a shame because, you know, I, I thought when I was younger, I thought other cultures outside of America had actually more honor. You know, I, I thought of the Mexicans and the Asians and other nations, I thought of them when I was young, I thought of them as, as being nations and peoples that were very well behaved, old fashioned, and had a lot of respect and honor. And I believe at one time it was that way. But only in recent generations that those cultures as well as the white culture and there is such a thing as a white culture. And I heard a, a white person a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, say on, uh, write a comment on maybe social media that there is, or Facebook, wherever it was, that the white people are people without culture. They don't have a culture. And there's a problem with that statement because there has been a, a, a purposeful, purposeful attempt to erase the white culture. Right. This is a white man that says there is no such thing as a white culture. Our culture has been erased. So we have problems in every race, in every group of people, in every culture, there are problems. And these problems in every one of these cultures, in every one of these races and tribes and nations have magnitude and increased and multiplied in the last generation. Amen. Ever since the 60s, really. And worse and worse, but greatly multiplied after 2000 and so forth. 1991, 2001, and so forth. As you go every year, every year, there's a great multiplication of the wickedness and corruption and, and how, how much everything is upside down. Amen. And a lot of this is, is this, legalistic religious people that want to dumb down the generation, the society. The New World Order wants to do this, of course. The New World Order wants to dumb down society. And, but it's also religious leaders, pastors and religious women primarily, that want to keep their babies babies. This is one of those many different problems that we can speak about. But this is the problem we're going to focus on today. Many different problems we could talk about. I know that this is not the only element that contributes to these problems. 
but we need to narrow it down for one topic for today is child raising. How we raise our children has changed in the recent generation. A lot of it is because of the teachers at school and the, the teachers' unions, what they want the parents to do and what they expect of the parents and what they tell their parents and what the mainstream media, what the news, what the government, what the local health department, what the social, social workers, all these different groups of people influencing parents. You can't spank your children anymore. You'll get thrown in jail if you spank your children, stuff like that. And, and, and books and magazines and women's magazines plays a part in this. Saying that you shouldn't spank your children and, and you shouldn't do this and you should or you shouldn't and you should and you should. We need to go back to how did our parents raise us and how were they raised, the grandparents? How did the grandparents raise their children? And when you get back to those earlier generations, the children were held more accountable in every aspect of life. Every, every aspect of life. The younger adults and the children were held to a greater measure of responsibility and accountability. And, and they, they recognized that the younger people are able to, they are able to understand things and learn and grow and adapt to a greater maturity than what we're raising today. What we're raising today is this mentality of they're always my babies forever and my ass forever, and we keep them at home until they're in their 20s and 30s, and they really are babies forever because we're not putting them to accountability in there. God put Jeremiah to accountability really all of his life. Even before he was 13, he was learning and growing how to be self-controlled, how to learn, how to behave himself, how to be a man. Amen? It was a whole different time. But just because that's old-fashioned, just because that's another time, does not mean that that's not the way it should not be today. A lot of people have this mentality that just because that was thousands of years ago, that that's not the way it should be today. Why not? We're the same human species, are we not? Amen. We serve the same God. We still live on the same planet. If we have the same God, the same sun, the same moon, the same earth, the same human species, why does it have to be different today? Why does it really have to be different? Oh, but they didn't have smartphones back then. The Bible says, seek out the old path. Amen? And walk therein, it says. Seek out the old path and walk therein. We need to look at these previous generations. Amen. It was a better life. Amen. 
they say we have a better life today because of the internet and industrial revolution, computers and factories. Bull crap. It was a better life then when they didn't have to worry about pesticides and genetically modified foods and computers and internet, 5G and all of this corruption and the vaccines. It was a better life without the machines and the computers and the cars and the automobiles. It was a better life then. That's one thing I do admire about the Amish, how that they go without electricity and without cars and so forth. But unfortunately, this generation, even uh, even a lot of those Amish groups have been corrupted and are starting to compromise more and more and more. And of course, their population is decreasing and so forth. And of course, they are a false religion, but I'm just saying they got that one thing going for them is walking the old-fashioned life. It is possible to live old-fashioned. They do it. There's thousands. I don't know how many thousands of Amish people in this generation in America in an a industrial, industrialized world living in an old-fashioned manner. It's not impossible. And then there's even this guy up in the mountains of North Carolina, close to the Tennessee state line. What was his name? A Mountain Men? I forget his name, but there's a, I love that show, Mountain Men. Is that Eustace? Yeah, Eustace. Uh, and then they got other men across America. These are men that are not Amish, but they live very old-fashioned. This one man in North Carolina that raises his own food, has his own horses, stuff like that. He still has electricity, but he does. He makes everything by hand. Everything that he can make by hand, he will. He tries to do everything in a very primitive manner and live very primitive. And he lives a great life and is very happy and content. Amen? And they show other men across America, Alaska and Montana and so forth, that live a very primitive lifestyle, that hunt for their food instead of going to the grocery store. They hunt for their food all the time, constantly. And it's a great life. It's a great life, and they love it, and they're much more healthier mentally and physically for it. Amen. It's not impossible. People can do what they set their mind to. People always want excuses, excuse, excuse, excuse. Amen. And people in our society, for the most part, are too lazy to try to put forth an effort to change their life. It's easier to just go with the flow of the most recent generation of how we're being raised into a microwave society and not have to face any difficulty. And when we do face a difficulty, it's too hard. Everything is too hard. Woe is me. I need to take a pill for depression because it's too hard. I can't handle this. It's a soft mentality. I do not take pills for depression. I'm just mocking people. I'm mocking this generation. We're too soft. Snowflakes. 
Amen? People melt at the pressure of anything, anything, anything at all, any difficulty that comes along. Oh, I can't handle this. Our generation has become this soft because, unfortunately, the magazines and the movies and the society, the cultures and our neighbors and teachers have been too soft upon us. And they are expecting softness from us. This is the new world order. It's to raise a generation of babies that are where the men are effeminate, where both the men and the women both are too soft. That's the, that's the fruit of buying your food in the store. That is the fruit of the industrial society and the modern society. That is the fruit, is weak people of all ages, children, teenagers, young adults, and older adults, a weak generation, a weak society, mentally and spiritually and physically, in every level, a weak society, a weak American military, amen? A weak American government, a weak American church, a weak American family. Everything is weakness. Soft, soft, soft. We need tough preaching. We need rough preaching. We need a, a, a strong, bold, brave leader in every area of society. Church, religion, business and government, and family. We need real men raising their children. Amen. We need women that, for the most part, will, will stick with their men rather than suing for divorce just because he raised his voice. In this society we live in today, if a man is firm, if he is a real man, he's an alpha male of his family, the woman calls it verbal abuse. He's verbally abusing me. He raised his voice. He made me do this. I can't do what I want to do. Blah, 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 blah. It's ridiculous. Women today don't know what it means to honor and obey their husband. Things like this needs to be said. Somebody's got to say it. Amen. Amen. Let's get back to the scriptures. We see the example of Jeremiah, but let's go over to Samuel in the history volume. The history volume, 1 Samuel 17. Page 64. 1 Samuel 17. Page 64. Verse 33. Next page there. Verse 33, talking about Samuel and Saul and these people. And um, 
says that Saul said to David, you will not in any way be able to go against the Philistines and fight with him, for you are a mere youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. So this is Saul speaking to David, and David had already said, I'm going to go and fight the Philistine, Goliath. This is David and Goliath. Saul says, but you're, you're too young. But on the other hand, this Goliath, this giant, he's been a warrior from his youth. Well, guess what? This Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. Amen. He was raised to be a warrior. He became a warrior while he was still younger. Amen. But Saul had a weak mentality about David and was undercounting, underestimating David. Now, David, we know, was the youngest of eight boys. The youngest of eight boys. And when Samuel had came to uh, find David, because God had told him, go and find this, this, this shepherd that I'm going to anoint as king of Israel. He went to the house, house and the, the dad sent out in the field for all the boys, but they kept David out in the field because he was the youngest and the shortest. All the other young men came into the house, and the dad and Samuel is talking about them, saying, uh, and Samuel's like, no, it's not any of these. Don't you have another boy? Yeah, he's out in the field. Go get him. This is the one. This is the one. God could have called the oldest, the eldest young man, but God didn't choose the eldest or the tallest or the strongest. Amen. He chose little David, the smallest and the youngest. And here Saul is underestimating him. But at the same, at the same time, acknowledging that this other guy was raised to be a warrior from his youth. Amen. So it's not really the age, but rather it was Saul underestimating David and his calling. Amen. That's what was occurring. It really wasn't that it was impossible for a person that young to be a warrior because Goliath had been a warrior from youth. It wasn't really his age, but rather Saul and Saul's wickedness and, and Saul's lack of discernment and lack of wisdom. Amen. That's the real problem here not David's age. And of course, David had already been called by God before this. Amen? Now, how old was David? How old was David at this time? I did some research, and it is most likely that David was only around 13 years old when he killed Goliath. Have you ever heard that? No, you haven't heard that. Just be, you know why you haven't heard that? Because the pastors and the pastor's wife Amen. doesn't want you to know that David was 13 and Jeremiah was 13 
and all these other examples we're going to look at. They don't want you to know. They want you to stay soft and soft, soft, soft and ignorant. Because if you learn the truth, then your mentality and the way that you look at your children and the degree of accountability upon your children will be dramatically different. And that would upset the New World Order, wouldn't it? Amen. Which is very greatly uh, ruling the world through religion. Amen. The New World Order is very involved in the churches. Very involved in the churches. The thing about youth is they are more bold. They are more brave. They are more adventurous. When a young man is 13 years old, they have that mentality that David did. How dare he blaspheme my God? I'm going to go knock his head off. That is the boldness, the courage, and the adventurousness, the bravery of a 13 year old young man. Amen? In our current modern society, all across the world, unfortunately, a 13-year-old young man is seen as a baby. But he's not a baby when he's 13. He's not. Amen? He's not a baby when he's 13. And when he's 13, he is getting interest if not already years before that, he's getting interest in females. He's got hormones raging through his blood. He has got a lot of hormones raging through his blood at that age. He is not a child. He's not a child. Back in ancient times, They would be, at that age, they would already be starting their families, their own family, many times in most Asian cultures. But today, they're still babies, 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 babies. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. You have been brainwashed. You have been brainwashed to think that a young adult is a baby. It's brainwashing. Amen. Let's go over to chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2. And let's talk about Samuel, the one that anointed David because God told him to. 1 Samuel 2, verse 21. 1 Samuel 2, verse 21. 1 Samuel 2, verse 21. And Jesus visited Anna. And she bore, gave birth, yet three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before Jesus. Verse 26. And the child Samuel advanced and was in favor with Theos and with men, even while he was still a child. But notice, it's not really God calling him a child, but rather the person that is writing the book of Samuel that is calling him. A child. It's not God's words, but just the person writing the book of Samuel says that when he was a child, he was still advancing, still growing up uh, in favor with God and with men. 
Then go to chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered to Jesus before Eli the priest. And the word of Jesus was precious in those days. And there was no distinct vision. So all throughout these different years, as, as Samuel is growing older, but still is very young, he is serving the Lord and growing in favor with the Lord and with other men. He's getting the attention of older people, of adults, who are, or, you know, basically having the mentality that uh, uh, there's something special about this kid. Amen. I like this kid. This kid is mature. That This kid is knowledgeable. That This kid is a, 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 a servant of the Lord. In our modern society, most religious people would not even be capable of thinking that a child could be a servant of the Lord or is doing something special for God or has a special relationship with God. Their mentality is, oh, he's just a baby. He doesn't understand things. He doesn't have the ability to understand things. He, he, he doesn't have a mind. His brain is putty. Well, the reason why we have so many young men and young women who, whose minds and mentality is so childish and immature is because you have hindered them in their maturity growth. Amen. That's the reason. We see, we see so many people trying to point out the immaturity of the youth, but the problem is there's a reason for their immaturity. They've not been held to any level of accountability or responsibility. If you have the mentality that they are a baby, and the next year, they're a baby. And the next year, they're still a baby. And the next year, they're still a baby. And the next year, they're still a baby. It's because you're raising them to be babies. You're not raising them for accountability, for maturity, for learning, to have ability to become mature. As a child gets older every year, you should add greater accountability every year. Every year, greater accountability, greater responsibility, more learning, more teaching, more life lessons. Children should be taught by their parents. Amen. Not just teachers, but by the parents. A lot of parents do absolutely very little teaching. Very, very, very little teaching. They don't tell their children about their own mistakes because they don't want to admit and confess their mistakes. Or because, oh, oh, that's not appropriate 
for my child. When will it be appropriate? When will it be appropriate? Every year, as I get older, the mentality of most parents today is, it's not appropriate for me to tell such stories about what I did when I was young. Or it might set a poor example, a bad example, whatever. But the thing is, if you hold back from your children, then you are hindering them. Life lessons that you have lived, that you have learned yourself, are important to pass on to the next generation. Yes, I made a mistake. This is why it was a mistake. I encourage you to not make the same mistake because the mistake hurts. Of course, they're going to have to make their own mistakes. And that's how they learn better than anything else, no matter how much you teach, how much you talk. But you still got to teach. You still got to talk. You still got to tell them things and lead them. Amen. But they've got to learn their own lessons as well. And how are they going to learn their own lessons if they're always locked up in the basement? If they are all, all the time locked up in the bedroom or all the time playing video games or all the time watching TV and watching movies and watching cartoons and eating cereal for breakfast, which is junk food. Why don't you make them a real breakfast? Amen? Instead of having them eat cereal. Why don't you get up earlier? Why don't you just be a mom and quit your job and be a woman? People don't like that. But it's the truth. Amen. God did not create women to work outside the homestead. Women are pregnant for nine months out of the year. Does that not tell you a little bit of common sense? Does that not tell you that God did not intend for the woman to work outside the home? But, oh, that's what God thinks. Who cares? I need the money. Who cares what God thinks? I need the money. Money rules the world today. Maybe you should not have pushed away the man. Amen? Maybe you should have allowed the man to be a man. People, these women marry men, and then they move in with them and realize, oh, you're a man. I'm divorcing you. I don't like this. Samuel, how old is Samuel when he began to prophesy and work for the Lord outside? Um, of course, he was already. Um, ministering to the Lord, even when he was a child. Even as Jeremiah 
would have been um, ministering to God really all of his life in one form or another, even if it's sweeping and mocking. Jeremiah would have been serving the Lord somehow, some way. I believe that's true even with Samuel, that he was still serving the Lord in his earlier youth, in his earliest age. Probably when I'm walking away, if there's a problem with the audio. Hmm. Oh, I thought I did hear something there. It did seem like something. I don't know. There was a fan in there. There was a fan in there. Could be. That's probably why that was. Okay. So we turned off the fan, so hopefully that would be better audio now. Okay, so how old was Samuel when he really, really got geared up for the Lord? And there's an answer, not in the Bible, but rather in the historical writings of Josephus. Josephus is a very well-respected uh, historical writer of the first century AD. And he had a lot of information from agent manuscripts as well as uh, the stories of the scribes and the, and the stories of the Jews and the legends and the things that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And he was an insider. He was raised uh, in the temple. He was a, a son of a priest or a grandson of a priest or something like that. He had inside information. Now, Josephus wrote in the book called Aniquities of the Jews, book 5, chapter 10, section 4, paragraph 348. <laughs> and it says, quote, Now, when Samuel was 12 years old, he began to prophesy. 12 years old. 12 years old. Samuel was 12 years old when he began to prophesy. So now we see Jeremiah, King David, and Samuel, three holy men of God, being used by God when they were 12, 13 years old. Not just one example in the Bible, but three so far. That's significant. That's significant. Not just one example. And these are huge, major men of God. Huge. These are not minor prophets. Jeremiah is one of the most major prophets that we know of. David. Come on now. King David. A man after God's own heart. Samuel. The prophet Samuel. A huge, major prophet. And they were only 12 and 13 years old. Amazing. How come this is not pointed out more often? When things are hidden from people, there's a reason it's hidden from people. Because then you might raise your children to become adults instead of keeping them babies in, into their 20s. And that would not fit well with the 
New World Order and the religious, legalistic women that run the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Amen. And all these kids would see uh, all these 18, 20-year-olds and see a 12-year-old running around doing things and saying, hey, why can't I get to that, too? Yeah. It would not fit well in the Pentecostal church, which is a very legalistic cult. Very, 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 very legalistic cult the Pentecostal churches are. They would not, they would not be well, very well pleased with young adulthood. Amen. Now let's go over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus the Christ was as follows. When his mom Mary had been betrothed, that means promised to be married, and we need to change betrothed to something else we'll figure that out later engaged or something like that or promised to joseph before they came together she was found to be with child by the holy breath now what we got to understand about mary having been promised or engaged to joseph is in that day and time and in that location that culture that tribe is that a lot of times it was arranged marriages or at least agreement between dads about who would marry who. And there's even a verse later on, way much deeper in the New Testament, somewhere as I read last night, I didn't write it down, I believe it was in Galatians, that, that talked about that a child is basically still a slave, it said, still under his masters, his guardians, and that authority until the dad says so, until the dad gives release. The dads would make the arrangements and trade money and make deals and so forth. And it was especially pleasing to for them to keep the marriage within that particular tribe. To preserve the longevity of the tribe and the integrity of the family line, which people don't care about no more, but they should. Bible says don't plant two seeds together. What the Bible says. Don't plant two seeds together. Because you don't want a hybrid. You don't want a hybrid 
of seeds and make a new plant. We should not be making new types of dogs and new types of cats and new, type of, new types of corn, stuff like that. We should not be doing that. I'm not saying that that's always the truth with races. There are exceptions. I'm not saying that's always the case with races of people. There are exceptions. It depends on how it comes about and what race and what tribe. There's a lot of things about the Bible and about God that people don't know and don't want to know. And once they learn it, they will not embrace it no matter what because it goes in complete contradiction to what they've been brainwashed by and what they want to believe because they've always, always believed it and they don't want to believe any other way. So I'm not going to get into all those statistics. That's a whole other sermon. But nevertheless, they tried to keep things within the family tribe, and there would have been arrangements. And part of the arrangement would even be the age of the female. In that day and time, in that culture, in that location upon the world, and even the entire world in that generation, it would have been a shame for the female to not be married by the time that she is 14. It would be a considered a, a, such a disgrace. They would actually probably even hide the female in order to not let the neighbors know that she was still single at 14 years old. It would have been a, a, a huge, huge disgrace upon the entire family if a girl had not been married away by the time she was 14. This is the reality of how they thought about things in that day and time. In our day and time, these parents would be considered pedophiles. And everybody on Facebook and MeWe and social media and Twitter, they would be saying, pedophile, pedophile, pedophile. Not realizing that their own great-grandmother was probably 16, 15, 14, 13 when she first had her first baby. If people were to do their family line, their genealogy, I believe that you would discover this back in the 1800s, 17 and 1600s, if you're able to get that far back, that you would find these ages. Would you, would you then consider yourself a disgrace? because your great-grandparents or your great-great-grandparents, because they had a different mentality, because they considered them as young adults once they reached puberty. And we know that females reach puberty two or even three, even four years younger than what males do. And there's evidence that even if you go back thousands of years, 
that the, the age of puberty actually was younger. You can see news reports in recent years saying that the age of puberty is dropping and that it's because of all the, the stuff in the water and the food and all of this. But if you look at the skeletons of the bones and the archaeological evidence, actually the age of puberty had increased in recent generations and what's happening right now is it is returning back to the original age of puberty where they are becoming uh, adults at a younger age like it originally was it's returning back to the original cycle because we're getting closer to the end and things are returning back to the original cycle of life uh oh but there's still babies still babies still babies still babies because that's what people want to think they don't want to change their thinking. They're not, they don't want the Bible or God or history or facts to change their way of thinking. They are stubborn. People are just stubborn. Facts don't matter to them. How old was Mary when she birthed Jesus? The common consensus is that she was probably around 12 years old, around 12 years old. And we wouldn't really think any older than that because every year it would have become a, a greater and greater disgrace for it to her not yet be married. <clears throat> and it does say that she was a virgin. It does say that. And in that day and time, the virginity would not have lasted very long at all. That's just history. That's the way it was. Now let's go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 41, page 70. Luke 2, Verse 41. Luke 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the fiesta of Passover. There's talking about Jesus. His parents, Joseph and Mary, went for the Passover. And when he became 12, 12 years old, they went up there according to the custom of the fiesta. And as they were returning from the fiesta, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the carnival and went a day's journey. But they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers both listening to them and asking them questions. Now, it would not have been for the purpose of learning, because he already knew, but rather it would have been for the purpose 
of getting a response from those teachers. Amen. Verse 47, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He wasn't seeking answers. He had the answers. Amen. And they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. 48, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mom said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your dad and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in the things of my father? King James Version says, about my father's business. Amen. His response was not, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I did wrong. But rather, why was you looking for me? You should have known that I had a destiny, that I was supposed to be working for God. Amen. Twelve years old. Twelve years old. He didn't even ask permission. He took his own permission. Amen. I'm not saying that a 12-year-old should not ask permission. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that God's mentality, the way that God looks at the age of a person, is along the lines of the ancient past, even to this day, because the Bible says that God does not change, that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He changes not. His mentality is the same today as it was 2004 and 6,000 years ago. God does not change the way he looks at things. We should allow them to have greater responsibility, duties, and greater accountability so that they will not be babies forever, so that they will not grow to be immature beyond their age, but rather to be greater mature for their age. They should, our children, the children of the true church, should stand out from the crowd as being more mature, more well-behaved, more accountable, more responsibility to grow up to be a better adult. Amen. Look at Joel chapter 2 in the book of Proverbs. Oh, I have a quick comment. Okay. Verse 52 in this is the same phrase that he used about Samuel. What's it say? And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and age, sat maturity, and his favor was Theos and humans. Okay. So, let me see that real quick. So, it says in Matthew, it says here in Matthew, no, Luke, in Luke 2, where we was at, in verse 52. 52, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and age or maturity and in favor 
with God and humans. So we got to cross-reference that with Samuel, where it said that he, Samuel, also gained favor with God and humans. That's very interesting right there. God is good. Amen. Praise Jesus. Thank God's brother, Gerald. Amen. I can't keep quiet when I see you. Amen. Praise God. Uh, now we go to the book of Joel. In the book of Prophets, Joel chapter 2. This is a prophecy of the end time, our day and time, coming up soon. Joel 2, verse 28. Page 204, page 204 of the prophets, Joel 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my ghost, my Holy Ghost is what it's talking about, upon much flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And on my servants and on my handmaids, in those days will I pour out my ghost. This is a prophecy that in the end time, God will use, anoint, our children, our sons, our daughters, the young ones, the young adults, 12 years old, 13 years old, 16 years old, and perhaps even much younger. Should we not give them a place in the church? I tell you this, I would rather entrust in the prayers of a child rather than the prayers of the adults. If I had a choice, if we had children in the church and I wanted to ask somebody to pray for me, my first preference, my first preference would be to go and ask a five-year-old child to pray for me than to ask somebody that's in their 40s and 50s. Because God will hear the prayers of the innocent. Amen. I remember one time this little boy, I don't know his age, I forget, but I had to guess in a long time. I had to guess maybe seven years old. And he came and he came to my tent and he laid hands on me and anointed me basically without the oil and said some holy words upon me. Amen. He had been raised by evangelists, a preacher. He had been raised, for the most part, a very righteous way with the Bible. He was not 
separated or cast away when it was time for worship services. He was right there with his parents, observing the laying on of hands, the anointing, the prophesying over people. He was able to do this without being told by anyone, without being told by his parents, without being told by anyone, just right out of the blue. To prophesy over me. Amen. Also, remember a time these young young men, about seven and eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, these young men used to feed me when nobody else would, and I was in great poverty. The other people didn't care about me. But these young men used to bring me food from their house, from their place, spent time with me, and loved to learn from me, loved to hear my stories and my teachings and my prophecies. I cherished their friendships. Other people see babies. I see the future. I see intelligence and love and appreciation for the truth, appreciation for true prophecies, and the willingness to learn and to ask questions and to ask the difficult questions. The people today are like, oh, they won't understand. They're not capable of understanding. Bullcrap. Bullcrap. They have a great capacity of learning at that age. A great capacity of learning at that age. Do not hinder them. They could be used in a mighty way by God, but you could be the one to quench the spirit. You could be the one to hinder their relationship with God if they're not if you're not allowing them to work in the temple. If you're not allowing them to come to church, if you're casting them away, or if you're not teaching them or leading them in the word of God. The Bible says to teach our children the commandments. Amen. It does tell us this to teach our children the commandments and the law of God. We should teach them to read from the Bible. Amen. Found a very interesting statistic about the Civil War, the American Civil War, the 1800s. In the American Civil War, which is around 1860, 1865, there was over a quarter million young male adults, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, in the Civil War, both in the Union and the Confederacy, both in the North and in the South, over a quarter million, perhaps even close to a half a million of that age range 
in the Civil War. In the 1800s, they did not view them as children of lacking capacity of understanding and ability. As recently as 2003, child soldiers participated in 75% of the conflicts and battles and wars in this earth. 75% of the wars and battles on earth in 2003, child soldiers were involved in over 20 nations. The battles, the civil wars, the wars between nations, so forth, the different battles. Not just Afghanistan, but over 20 nations still had what you would call child soldiers. They would not call them child soldiers. They would call them young adults. There's still a lot of nations in this world where they do not consider them as forever babies. It was really in the 1920s in the United States that legalistic religious female-led cults, and that's exactly what they were, cults, led by women in the 1920s in America that dramatically began to change the minds of the population. Books written by women, religious books, magazines written by women that influenced the next generation. Changed laws and so forth. Then, trying to find what year it was, child labor law, 1938 in the United States. 1938 was the main year of the new, stronger child labor laws. A lot of people saw that as an advancement for civilization, but it was not. For the most part, it was not advancement, but rather it was ship off these kids or young adults to the concentration camps that we now call schools. Instead of allowing them to make money for the family and grow up and be mature and responsible, Send them off to the concentration camp and let's call it a school when really what it is is a brainwashing facility. I don't consider that a major advancement, but rather um, a corruption of society. Amen. Send them off to the concentration camp and make them stay in the prison. That's what a school is, a prison for eight hours a day, sitting still and being quiet for the entire eight hours, which is not natural. Amen. Of course, they get 30 minutes or hour for recess or to play, depending on uh, the school level and the nation and the city. 30 minutes to an hour of play, recess, perhaps 30 minutes to an hour for lunch, so at least six 
or seven hours, don't move, don't speak. Hey, I'm all for teaching them discipline to not move and not speak when it's church time and when it's certain other times when they got to learn. But for six hours, seven hours, eight hours, that's not natural. And that is more cool than what they call child-child labor. That's more cool. You know, at least if they're working in the coal mine, at least if they're hunting or fishing or working in the factory, sewing socks, making socks, whatever the, whatever the trade is, at least they're moving and being active and using energy which they need to release at that age. When they're that young, they're full of energy. It is more cruel to send them to school and make them sit and not speak and not move for six plus hours, that's more cruel than allowing them to work. The child labor laws did not improve life, but rather corrupted society. Amen. Therefore, we do encourage homeschooling. I do encourage you, if at all possible, to homeschool your children and your young adults. Now, there's a lot of parents that think that this is impossible because uh, a lot of people, a lot of the parents may think that they don't have the knowledge, the information to teach their children math. Perhaps you're not really good at math, or you're not really good at history, or you're not really good at science, so how am I going to teach my children? Well, actually, you don't have to know those things. Amen. You don't have to know those things because it's, it's all laid out in a book or a computer website for you. So you don't really have to know these things. And then secondarily, there are entire groups of families that send their children to the same house. So you actually, in homeschooling, it is not that there's only one mom and one child or one family. That's not the way it always is. But rather, the reality is that you might have a house where there's three families or four families that have sent their children to the one parent that is having a homeschool within their house. So even if you're not smart enough to teach your children the school lessons, you might, if you do your research and look for it, you might be able to find somebody else in the same town that is already homeschooling their children that might be willing to also homeschool your children, even if they don't already have more than their children. They might be willing to bring in more children. If they're already teaching their own children, they might be willing 
to also bring in and embrace your children as well, even if they're not already embracing additional children. If you don't look, if you don't research, if you don't try, then you can't win. Amen. People have to try before they can win. So everybody wants an excuse, 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 without even making an attempt, without even doing the research, without even looking. And a person can ask among the community, but they can also ask, um, even put an ad in the newspaper, I am looking for such and such, or on Facebook or whatever. There are ways that you can get the word out that you are seeking somebody to homeschool your children if you don't want to do it yourself or can't do it yourself for whatever reason. And I know that the laws are different in different nations, in different states, in different cities. But if you don't do your research to learn what is possible, then you're hindering yourself. If at all possible, I encourage people to homeschool their children, either at your own home or somebody else's home. Now let's talk about baptism. Baptism of children. Now, of course, we do not approve of infant baptism because that's just not logical at all. It doesn't make any sense at all all to baptize a child that is so young that they really don't have a capacity of understanding. It's ridiculous. I don't know how anybody on this earth would fall for such crazy, insane doctrines as infant baptism. You've got to be pretty silly to believe that, that God really approves of that. They haven't even sinned yet. They have not even sinned yet. But I am, have in the past, I have in the past been willing to baptize people as young as seven. And I would still consider that. However, I would prefer for them to be at least 12 or 13 years old for baptism. But every individual and every different situation must be judged differently and separately. Some people are more mature, some people are less mature, so forth, different levels and capacities. So each individual family and individual must be judged separately. But I definitely do encourage baptism for people that are like 13, 14, 15, 16, the older they are, the more that they should be held to accountability for their own sins their own mistakes, learning their own lessons the hard way, and gave them the freedom to learn lessons. People have got to stop uh, trying to hide the world from their children. People have got to stop trying to keep their children in total ignorance about everything in the world. You should not hide the reality of the world from them at any age. At any age, you should not hide the reality of life and death and sex and crime and law 
and commandments and good and evil. You should not hide any of these things from them at any age. If they ask questions, answer the question. Amen. If they show an interest, answer the question. If something is presented in front of them on a movie or TV show or magazine or the news, talk about it, regardless of what it is. Talk about it. Explain and teach them. Teach them the difference between right and wrong and why things are right and why things are wrong. Don't hide the reality of evil in the world. Don't try to keep them ignorant about sex and problems that exist in the world. If you keep them in ignorance, then they will be more susceptible to false teachings and wrong influences. If you keep them ignorant about sex, then they will be more susceptible to molestation and homosexual influences in the schools, transgender influences in the schools. Sexual dysfunction, sexual mental illness is being taught in books and magazines and schools and teachers. You have to defend your children by teaching them what's right and what's wrong in sex and what the truth is about genders and the male role and the female role in life. If you don't teach them, somebody will. Amen. The other person won't think they're too young to learn. The other person, the evil influences in this world, will not consider them too young to learn. Amen. So you either you teach them right or they will teach them wrong. Which way is it going to be? Which way is it going to be? You should not keep them ignorant. Ignorance is a danger to them. Amen. Tell them the truth about everything. Also, teach them the value of money and hard manual labor. Teach them honor and responsibility. Don't allow them to be lazy. They should, by the time or when they reach, when they reach 16 years old, if not before then, they should begin working a job, making money, at 16 years old, if that is allowed in your nation, which it probably is in almost every nation on earth, they should be beginning to earn money and work at 16 years old, even while they're still going to school, even while they're still going to school. A lot of parents are like, no, because it will interfere with their childhood, their time to play video games, their time to play, play, play. That type of mentality will keep them babies until they're in their 20s. Amen. A 16-year-old is definitely a young adult and should be working. Amen. I know a lot of people disagree because you have been programmed to think of them as babies forever. 16, it won't be but four years, they'd be 20. 
at 16, it will be only two years away, they'll be 18. Only two years away, they will be 18. And only four years away, they're going to be 20. So no, 16 is not a child. It is not. Absolutely not. If they out childish, it's because you have kept them in a childish mentality. They should buy their own car with their own money. Do not buy them their first car, nor their second, nor their third. A parent should never buy a car for a child or young adult ever, not even their first car. Because if you buy their first car for them, then they learn that they are still a child. You're still teaching them as a child. You are still leading them as if they're not capable of making their own money and buying their own items. A car is a very adult person. A car is not a toy. A car is not a toy for children or a game. A car is a very dangerous machine, extremely dangerous machine. It takes a ton of responsibility and accountability to own and to operate a car. Amen. So why would you buy it for them? You buy them toys when they're children. You buy them clothes when they are children. You buy them food when they are children. A car is not a child's toy. It is an adult item. If it is an adult item, make them buy it themselves so that they will not be spoiled, so that they will learn the value of money, so that they will learn the value of work and saving money and spending money. This is how they learn, and this is how they become mature adults. Let them buy their own car. People are way too spoiled today. Amen. Way too spoiled. And they should leave home and start renting or buying their own home as soon as they finish high school. And I don't care how old they are when they finish high school, 16, 17, 18, as soon as they finish high school, out the door they go. Push them out for their own sake. Because if they are allowed to stay living in that home year after year after year, they're going to be 30 before you know it. And they're going to be immature and they're going to be spoiled. Let them earn their own living and grow up and become responsible adults. The longer that you continue to hold on to them, you are hindering their character, their personality, their growth as a human being. Stop hindering them. And of course, the years before you release them, you should be teaching them how to use money, how to save money, how to make money, how to 
buy groceries and clothes, how to mail a letter, how to ship items, how to pay the bills, how to pay the electricity, all these things about how to raise your own home, how to raise your own family, how to get a job, how to uh, buy stuff and pay for stuff and where to send the money for the electricity, how to buy electricity, all these different things. You should be teaching them in the last two years before they leave home so that you're not throwing them out without any knowledge, without any ability to take care of themselves. What I have been witnessing in the last few years would blow your mind. It would blow your mind of people that are close to 30 years old, grown men that don't even know how to mail a letter. It's ridiculous how that people have allowed their children to stay ignorant. It's ridiculous. And children should be disciplined, including spanking. I do not agree with using belts and whips. I do not agree with using belts and whips for your children. But rather, they should be spanked with your hands, your bare hands on their butts. And that's the only place. Not all the way up and down their legs and down on their backs and everything else. When I use backs, I, when I use whips and I use belts, I don't like that. I think that's too much. I think that's too much. You can use your bare hand on their bare butt. And I guarantee you, if you pull their pants down to smack their butt, that's embarrassing as they get older. Every year that they're older, that becomes more and more embarrassing to pull their pants down. And that's not sexual. And that's not abuse in any way, shape, or form. But if you pull their pants down and smack their bare ass, they will stop, stop, stop doing the evil. Amen? They won't backtalk you. Amen? It's absolutely ridiculous how these parents today allow their children to cuss them. Amen. And backtalk them and get away with it. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous how the children children are ruling the parents. Amen. It's ridiculous, upside down. And the only thing the parents do is yell and scream, yell and scream, yell and scream, rather than actually disciplining them. It's absolutely ridiculous what we're seeing in today's generation.
and they need to be taught to eat every bite of food on their plate. And I mean, scrape the plate and lick the plate. Amen. It's ridiculous. I was taught when I was a child that food is expensive. Do not waste food. There's children in Africa starving to death is what I was taught when I was a child. There's a child in Africa starving to death. Eat everybody on your plate. Hey, Tim, my uh, grandmother, she was around when there was a famine. That was her lesson. Don't waste food. I didn't have it. Amen. Amen. It's ridiculous. The way children today, oh, I don't want to eat it. I don't like it. Well, tough. That's food. Your body needs food. Eat it, whether you like it or not. If they're not allergic to it, they should be eating the same thing that's on the same plate, the, the same food on everybody's plate at the table. Amen. Every child, every adult, everybody in the house eating all the same food, except for special allergy and special needs. Who can afford to buy everybody in the house their own different thing? Come on now. I was at one house a long time ago, and the dad was like, okay, what do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? And he literally made like three or four different meals. That's stupid. Amen. Who can afford that? And on top of the, the money financial issue, it's, it's spoiling them. It is spoiling them. It's not right. That's not good for their character as a person, as a human being. Amen. To raise a family, to love one another, and to honor and respect each other is to sit down at the table all at the same time and share in the same food. They learn lessons. They learn to get along with each other. They learn what a family is. They learn how to raise their children to do the same thing. Everybody should be eating at the same time and eating the same food. Amen. A lot of the reason why children have food allergies today is because when they were a child, when they were little, they was allowed to say, I don't like this, 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 and I don't like that. Because they was allowed to do that, now they can't eat it, they're allergic to it. That's exactly, that's been scientifically proven. That's been scientifically proven that a lot of food allergies are because they did not eat it as children, therefore their, now their bodies don't recognize it as being real food. Their bodies don't recognize it as being food because they didn't eat it when they were little. So now the body thinks it's poison and it's a foreign substance to, to fight against it. Children should be taught to eat everything on their plate. It don't matter whether they like it or not to value food, to be taught that there are people starving. Then they won't have so many allergies. 
and they will be healthier, and they will learn to appreciate the taste. Kids are spoiled way too much today. They are spoiled way too much. I was never allowed to say, I don't like this, I don't like that, because, but now I like everything. Amen? For the most part, for the most part, you know, you see these people, they go to, they go to McDonald's and they say, leave off this and leave off that and leave off this and leave off that and leave all that. I can understand leave it off if it is because it has soy in it. But just because you don't like it is because you was raised immature. You was raised a baby to stay a baby. That's why people don't like tomatoes. That's why people don't like onions. That's why people don't like mustard. It's because you was allowed to stay a baby all of your life and you still don't like it because you never grew up. And that's the truth whether you like it or not. I like everything. I love mayonnaise. I love mustard. Put everything on there except for the soy. Children should not be spoiled to get anything and everything they want. They should be taught to read the Bible every day. Boys need to be taught how to be men. Boys need to be taught to chop wood, to hunt, how to use a gun for self-defense and hunting, how to use a knife, to carry a knife on a regular basis, because that's what boys do. They need to be taught how to fish, fix cars, change the oil in the car, change the tires, change the batteries, so forth rather than to be allowed to stay watching, playing video games all day. They should be told to get out in the yard and play in the yard rather than video games, boys and girls both. Boys should be taught to dress masculine. Boys should be taught the difference between boys and girls how they should act, what what type of toys are appropriate for boys, what type of toys are appropriate for girls. They are different toys, different colors, different styles. Boys should be allowed to go shirtless at all ages, all of their life, forever and forever, ever age. A boy should never be told to put a shirt on except for to go into the store or go into the church. Girls need to be taught how to become women, how to be good wives and mothers. Girls need to be taught how to clean, cook, and wash dishes, how to sew, how to wash clothes, how to make clothes, how to make soap, and other skills that a wife needs. Girls should be taught to dress feminine, to grow their hair long, and to keep their hair long, even when they're 60, 70, 80 years old, instead of having this hair as short as a man. It's ridiculous. Girls 
should be taught to wear dresses, although I'm not completely against women wearing pants. As long as the pants are made for women, then they are not male clothes. But they should be wearing dresses uh, more often than pants and not pants constantly all the time. There is time for female to wear pants when they are maybe doing exercises in the gym or whatever. I can see a, a girl and a woman wearing a, a, a pants in the winter time, especially in the northern coldest states, Alaska and so forth. So there's a time and there's a place for women to wear pants as long as it's women's pants, then that is not male clothing. But in the warm climates, they should be taught to wear dresses more often. If you raise your children to be more responsible and knowledgeable, then they will grow to be more mature and more responsible for their entire lives. If you keep them as ignorant, blind, naive children, the longer that you delay their teaching and their knowledge and their responsibility, the longer that you delay them having responsibility and knowledge, the less mature they will be all of their lives all of their lives. As far as people that don't have children yet or they have children but they've been thinking about having more children, I would recommend that at this point, since we are so close to the Great Tribulation, it would not be wise to have additional children at this point. Because we must consider the extremely dangerous vaccines that are being forced upon infants. They've got, I don't know how many different vaccines now, a ton of vaccines. They're, they're given to babies and toddlers. This is insane. This is absolutely insane to give babies and toddlers shot after shot, injection after injection, injection after injection. It's insane. And they're adding more mercury or aluminum, not mercury, but more and more aluminum, more and more different toxic metals and hidden ingredients to these vaccines more and more every year. And it's going to get worse. And they're trying to bring about in the United States under the illegal Biden regime, they're going to try to bring about where the COVID vaccine be part of the school vaccination program. Why would you want to raise children in this situation? So because of this and other problems, uh, that's going to arise as we get closer and closer and as we get into the Great Tribulation, it's going to be extremely dangerous for newborn babies. Even Jesus said, woe unto those who are breastfeeding in those days. Woe unto them. Woe unto them. That means it's going to be very extremely difficult for both the mothers 
and the babies, the infants, the toddlers, and the entire family, it's going to be dangerous and difficult. We should be people of wisdom. I know it's human nature that God gave every one of us to want children. Absolutely. I understand that. I absolutely understand that. But we have to use wisdom. Why would we want to bring additional new children into this situation where they're going to be tortured with needles and be given toxic poisons? That at this point, at this point, at this particular point, at this time in history, that is nothing but torture and death. It's a death sentence. And nobody should be made to watch their children die. At this point in America, that's exactly what you're doing, is bringing a child into life just to kill them through these injections, unless you're going to fight tooth and nail legally to try not to give them any of these vaccinations. And then most likely they're going to take your child away and give them to somebody else and force the injection upon them. So it's not wise in the United States. In the United States, in different nations, maybe, maybe. But the Great Tribulation is going to be extremely dangerous for every nation. We're going to be in World War III, whether it's next spring or the following spring or the following spring, sometime extremely soon, we are going to be in the Great Tribulation at some point. And it's going to be extremely dangerous for everybody of every age and to be having to survive with infants is going to be uh, difficult and dangerous. So people need to consider all these things. At this point, it's a new time, it's a new generation, it's a new situation we're facing. I'm all for adoption. Amen. I'm all for taking in children that are unwanted from your sister and brother's place if they don't want the children, take them in your home. Amen. There are situations like that. Take them in your home. Absolutely. I'm not against adoption. Adoption, I'm not against um, taking care of your family. I'm not, I'm not against that. Amen. Okay, Brother Drill, have you got anything else to add? I could write a whole book on this topic. Amen. Amen. Uh, I appreciate you listening today. We are here for our live broadcasts of our worship services every Saturday at 11 o'clock in the morning is when we start. We actually try to start at about 10 minutes until 11 Eastern time zone every Saturday for worship services every Sabbath Saturday 
this is the live worship services of I Saw the Light Ministries. I mean, you can find out more about our church services and our the doctrines and teachings at isawthelightministries.com. We go by the Bible and history, the facts, what can be documented and proven, rather than by modern Western traditions. Modern Western programming is upside down and very corrupted. So we go by the Bible and history and what history teaches us. And you can learn some valuable history, valuable lessons from history. We are not a denomination because God does not want the church divided into denominations. Denominations are created by women and men outside of the will of God. Amen. And God is not seeking a religion, but rather personal relationship. Amen. And those relationships are developed when we are young. And we need to be raising every generation and the next generation to honor and fear the Lord, to love the Lord, to love reading the scriptures, to sing the old-fashioned songs. Amen. To sing the songs are holy unto the Lord rather than the rock and roll Christians, fake Christian. Ain't no such thing as uh, Christian rock for the most part. There's not. There's some exceptions, but for the most part, it's not there. And we need to go back to the agent ways. The Bible says seek out the agent path and walk therein. That's what we need to do. A lot of this modern mentality is not really God's will and is not the way God looks at things. Brother Gerald, what you got? Um, I can't quite find it here. I know there's a verse in Isaiah or somewhere in the prophets where it's talking about after the return of Jesus and it says a child shall write it, like the scripture testimony about that. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Let's see if we can find that sometime in there and post it. Okay, I'll let you go. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.